Welcome to today's episode of Absolutely Not. I am your host, Katrina Stroll, and we in this space are dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm. I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody who's been supporting Absolutely Not since it started. Um, as you can see, we have rebranded and a lot of big things are coming in the realm of Absolutely Not, so please stay tuned. But as always, we start each episode with Definitions of words we use frequently on the show. The first being boundary, something that indicates or fixes a limit. For example, if you blocked off your calendar and it says, I'm not taking meetings today, that is a boundary you are setting with your organization and they should know better. Dismissive, showing that something is unworthy of consideration. For example, in that same conversation, if they see your calendar is blocked off and they continue to reach out to you for support, that is being dismissive of the boundary you've already set. And then lastly, gaslighting, to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. So if you have that on your calendar and they are dismissive and they continue to use phrases like, don't you think you're being a little exaggerative? You can still answer your phone. You can still answer this email. That's gaslighting. Today's episode is entitled, Saying No for Me and for Them. I'm really excited about this episode, but I'm even more excited about our special guest today. My special guest today is Gabby Espana. She is, or they are an educator, change maker, and creative, and they use the pronouns they, them. They are fiercely pro-Black, pro queer as fuck, and unyielding advocate for youth leadership. Taken together, Gabby is neither a culture fit nor a culture ad. They are culture expansive. And before I um, pass it to my special guest today, I just want to apologize for using the incorrect pronouns. And for everybody in the room, please continue to use they, them when addressing our special guests. But thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. I feel like we, we talked about this a long time ago, and it's finally here and on... Uh... What is it? It's like International Non-Binary Awareness Week. And I was like, oh, everything aligned. I was meant <laughs> to be here today. I'm so excited about it. And I'm ex more excited about your title. Could you talk about why you chose this title for this episode? Absolutely. So as my bio indicates, but also for anyone who knows me, a few of you are my friends here. Um, I think I'm pretty vocal and people know without question where I stand when it comes to equity and justice and the vision I see for the future and, and how it can be a more just and kind place. And a lot of that has to do with exactly as you mentioned, I am pro-Black, I'm aggressively queer, like pro-queer, all those things. Um, but a lot of how I've come to be who I am and how I maneuver the world has to do with the fact that I've worked in education for five or six years now. And being in a space where there's so many power differentials, especially those enacted on young people, I have learned to maneuver these spaces because of the ways that I work with them, what I've learned from them. And so I wanted to give this conversation kind of, it's like a dedication to them. I've gotten here because I've learned from them in the same ways that they've given so much to me. I want to talk about them. I want them to have their place in this conversation. Well, how beautiful is that? That is so very beautiful. And 
in that same realm, were those people the main reason why you started setting boundaries in your life? Absolutely, because we have so many assumptions about what young people are capable of. And if you would just listen to them, if you just spend time with them, you recognize that a lot of the assumptions we have about young people are from other adults talking about young people and not from them. And experiencing that myself, right? We all went to school, we were all a student at some point. And then seeing it and being in a position where people told me to enact the same harms for the system to be part of the system in an oppressive manner, I was like, I'm not gonna participate in that. I can't do that. And so, yeah, being around them taught me what I'm willing to accept and what I'm not. And I, I love that you stated, I'm not going to participate in that. A lot of us are a part of these systems on a daily basis. And we see those harms that you talked about enacted on a daily basis, but taking part of it is a decision. Um, could you talk about a time you had to make that hard decision and not being a part of those systems anymore? Oh, all right. We're gonna start with an, exa an example that I feel pretty emotional about. Um, so, in college, I did a uh, kind of like a fellowship, I'll, I'll say, and I worked for a month, month and a half at a public school um, that was predominantly serving Latino um, populations. And so I worked in a class that had both English speakers and Spanish speakers. And these children immediately, the first thing I noticed when they introduced me to the lead teacher and what I was supposed to be doing is she told me they're tracking, like they were all tracked based on their uh, English literacy and whether or not they could like read and write and respond to questions in English. And so you had the lowest group who mostly felt comfortable in Spanish or were only, were kind of nonverbal, just didn't speak as much. And so you couldn't assess their, their knowledge of English. Then you had the middle tier who for the most part understood English, but had some difficulties either verbalizing or writing. And then you had the top tier, which were fully bilingual students or just English speaking students who could, who knew for sure that they knew English, they could participate in school. And when I first got there, they immediately started telling me about what I could and couldn't do with the students. And I was like, okay, fine, there's rules, we're in school, I understand. But one of the, one of the rules they told us is that if at any point a student is acting out in some way and they need to be restrained, I can't do it. I have to call another teacher to do it because there's people in the school trained to do it. And I thought, well, these are, these were all like first graders. I'm like, who's, what it would, what could they do that you would need to restrain them? I don't understand. And so I started seeing examples of this students that would have to be touched or held down or removed from the space. And there, there was one boy in particular who, um, oh, I love this little boy. He really loved engaging with people. Like he just wanted to talk. He just wanted to, to, to play. He wanted to tell you his stories and I loved him. But he was a boy who often had to be removed from the space because he was misbehaving, because he wasn't paying attention to the teacher, because he decided to you know, like nudge a, a child near him so that he could like ask a question or tell him a story. And the teacher kept telling me like, oh, when you see that, this is what you do. And I was like, something doesn't feel right about this. This is a black boy amongst a lot of little Latino kids. And you're telling me, watch him because he's the one that does it all of the time. And I thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I won't. 
And so this particular student was tracked in the middle group where he could, he could speak English, but they always worried about whether or not he could write. And so I had offered, I was like, I'll do it. I, can I spend the like 20, 30 minutes with him doing his like literacy work to help him improve? And during those times, instead of like writing sentences and stuff, I allowed him to tell me his stories mm -hmm. and ask me the questions he wanted to ask. He, the something I love about young people is that they want to know the why. And I think that that has stayed with me always. I'm someone who also asks questions. Um, and he was like, well, why are you here? Like, wh what are you doing here? What, what are you going to do after you leave? Like he would, he would ask strong questions and I loved it. And the teacher would then ask me, look, oh, how do you do? Did he write new sentences? I'm like, yeah, he wrote another sentence. We're going to work on this the next day, whatever. So in a way, I used resistance to not participate in that. I, for, I know that I was only going to be there for a month, month and a half. And so I knew I couldn't change entire systems. But I knew for that month and a half, I would not participate in sing, singling out this child and making him seem like he was a problem. Mm. I was going to make him feel like he had a safe space to be and exist and just tell his stories. And I learned so much about him that I know when I did have to leave, it was, it was so hard to do it knowing that we were both losing something by the end of it. I don't know. Um, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I appreciate this experience because I think a lot of us feel like these systems are so huge what are we going to do that's going to make a difference? Well, you just explained an example that it made a difference. Who knows? Well, you probably know where the young man is today, but that, that made a difference in his life. And even the small boundaries that we set at work with people, whether or not it be these are my pronouns or I will not work past five o'clock, they are mm -hmm. making a difference. They are cultivating a culture. So wow, that, that was an amazing example of that. Um, while you were setting that boundary, that was, those were kind of soft boundaries, specific, specifically because not, nobody really knew that you were setting those boundaries. <laughs> Have you ever had to be extremely vocal about your boundaries at work? Yeah, and so working in education, you work with a lot of white women and White women have particular ideas, at least the ones that I've worked with in education, working with predominantly black and brown children, they have ideas about like what's best or how to, how to, how to push people forward, how to motivate people. And I had this one boss who she just didn't have a full handle on her emotions and she allowed them to permeate the space. So like students would know something's wrong because our boss, their supervisor was just not all the way okay. And she would allow that to also dictate how she would manage us. And so if she was really, really anxious, she just started throwing tasks at people. Like, go do this, go do this. Can you handle this? Call this person. And I'm like, I, I had things to do today. There, there were things we agreed that were gonna happen today. These seven new things while might make you feel more comfortable if they got done are not feasible for me to do. Mm -hmm. And I knew that this was also making a lot of my team really anxious because they also had plans for how we were going to work in the school today and what we were going to do. And so I had to, I spoke to her and I was like, I'm not sure if you know, I'm not sure if you see it, but there, you, when you come into a room, there's influence, there's power, 
in the way that you walk into this room. And as a leader here, it means something when you come in calmly. It means something when you come in angry. It means something when you come in excited and joyful, right? We can all feel those things. And we look to you as a leader to set kind of a tone for our space. And so I had to give her examples. I'm like, when this happened, you responded by doing these things and you asked me to do all of these things and you said that they were urgent. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, they did not get done because we had spoken last week about all these things I was gonna do with the students today. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I stuck to because that's what I could do. I said, moving forward, what would really help me feel like you could you know, really move us forward is when something really urgent happens, let us know, but let us decide how we're gonna handle it. Cause we, we are fully competent. That is why you hired us. And so, you know, we can get these things done. Let us decide how we divvy it up and get it done and trust us to do that because that's why you hired us. And that's why we're still here, right? Oh, so very inspiring. The fact that you had the emotional fortitude to kind of be like, okay, this is happening, but I'm not going to take it on. I'm not doing that just because you are a hot mess over there. <laughs> you need to process that on your own and stop bringing it into every room that you're coming into. Um, I would love to hear how that person took that um, advice and boundaries. Honestly, so she's probably one of my favorite bosses because she took it, right? People can hear criticism and then decide my boundary is I'm not, I'm gonna fight back against it, right? Because I need to protect my ego. She was very much like fair, right? Those are examples that you've given me. I can't deny that I didn't do those things. And it became clear that she knew what she was doing, but in the heat of it, right? All people do this in the heat of it, you're just feeling what you're feeling and you're not entirely sure what the impact of your actions are. And so she fully understood what she was doing. Now, will I say, I believe that like the best apology is change behavior. I don't need you to say, sorry. I don't need you to tell me like why you feel bad that you did X, Y, and Z. I need you to, the next time we come to this conversation, I can be like, man, I'm so grateful that you did this thing because it, it makes me feel heard and listened to and like you care. Mm. So I would say she worked on it for the rest of the time that I was there, but it was it was really good to know that I could come back another time and several other times to say, this is going better. Or can we talk about this again now? Because I'm, I'm sensing it's not all the way better, but tell me how I can help you, right? To, to handle this situation better so that our whole team can thrive. Oh, and for any leaders of any organizations that may be listening to this, this is how you build trust and a safe, a safe working environment. Your ability to come to your leader and say, these are my concerns and I would like them addressed and their ability to say, okay, I will take them on and I will do the best that I can. That built trust, that built a relationship. And the fact that you're not speaking poorly about this person right now, see, that's, that's how it works. I hope people learn about that. Man, that's amazing. I'm glad that you had a positive experience in that, during that experience. Have you ever had a negative experience to setting boundaries at work? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I've spoken about this, but I guess we can talk about, um, so, I worked with high school students and I worked like in a college access program. And so we had to 
kind of prepare students for what it felt like to go into predominantly white institutions. And so what's interesting is this is the same boss, right? Who I had a poor, poor response to. Um, and in doing this, I told her, well, okay, we're gonna do this after school programming and we're gonna talk about um, the students going away for like two, four, six weeks. They're gonna do a summer program at some of these schools to get a vibe for what, what the campus is like. I would like to talk to them about microaggressions. I would like to talk to them about, um, you know, being triggered. I want to talk to them about pronouns because they're going to meet people who are different from them. And I want them to be prepared for those types of things. I was all fine. The kids were for it. They're like, let's talk about it. Let's go. They were ready for this conversation. When my boss found out the topics that I was going to cover in the after school programming, she immediately called me into the office and was like, I don't think they're ready for this. I don't think this is the language we need to use with them. And I, confused, was like, I'm not I'm not sure what you think is too strong. Like, what do you think they're not prepared to hear? She's like, microaggression is just like, it's a little too hard of a word. It's, it might be more than they can, can take. And I was like, I'm, I'm not sure how you think that I could prepare them as black and brown kids to go to, I don't know if I can curse, to go to a random location in Vermont. These are all Chicago kids go to a random location in Vermont and them not know what they're going to tackle, what's going to be in their face when they are there. I was like, what other words would I use to describe that? And she couldn't give me a, a, a term, a better option. And so I told her, I'm going to be very frustrated if I can't be honest with the students moving forward. And her only response was, well, I don't want you to be frustrated with the kids. And I was like, the kids are not the problem. And so that's kind of how it ended. And I was not allowed to say the words that I wanted to use. Hmm. But then come the next year, people above me included microaggressions and all these other like terms that I wanted to discuss into the curriculum. And they were praised for it. And I was like, nice, wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it worked out just a year later. Hmm. Um, immediately when you described her response, I was like, bitch, what are you? <laughs> Oh, or like, what are you guilty about? Like, what, how have you been involved in microaggressions that you don't even want the word uttered in your presence? Mm -hmm. um, but that is neither here nor there. And I'm glad you were able to stick with your boundaries, even in that difficult situation. It sounds like you have been setting boundaries left and right. Was there ever a time that you had difficulty setting boundaries? I think... So when I think of a boundary, I think of it as like a threshold. And I use, I, I use that term and it helps me think about boundaries because I think boundaries require context, right? In that in some situations, calling me after 5 p.m. is a problem, don't do that. But in other situations, if it's like a project I love working on, if it's an event I'm working on and it includes my friends, call me after five. I want to know how we're progressing. I, I want to be in my business, right? If it's my boss calling me after five, don't do it. If it's some of my kids who I still keep in contact with and when they want to text me at 8 p.m., text me, tell me what's going on. And so I see it as a threshold, like what are we willing to accept up to what point? And so what's hard for me sometimes is that when it comes to a threshold, I tend to feel it as like what's What's going to push it over? What's going to get me to the point of now I have to react? Now I have to respond and I can't accept it anymore. 
And so I tend to feel my boundaries through anger. And I'm someone who I have to admit, I don't have a full handle on anger. I think I respect anger. I know it's selling me something, but anger doesn't always respect me back. And I know that sometimes it pushes me in a way that I prefer it didn't. Um, but I know when I'm angry after someone's done something, I know I've, it can't, it just can't sit there. I can't let it go. At the same time, when someone has respected me so deeply in a way that I didn't, I didn't know I needed, I didn't know I even wanted, it's gratitude that comes forward. I'm like, oh, you, you saw me, you see me and you care. And it's just gratitude that I feel. And so what makes it hard for me to sometimes set boundaries is that like when it's anger, I have to think through where's the anger coming from? Is it because I've been disrespected? Is it because I've been harmed? Or is it because my ego was hurt? Right? And in those moments, like I, I mentioned with the boss, if she would have moved forward with, oh, my ego's hurt, so I'm going to fight back against what you're telling me, she would have set her boundary of like, I'm not going to deal with that. And you can't talk to me that way, what have you. And then it would have blocked everything off. Mm. And so sometimes I have to think through why am, why am I angry? What is not sitting with me correctly? And then decide how do I act upon it? If it's my ego that's been hurt, I'm like, all right, this is a learning moment. Mm. It's not about necessarily letting go, but learning why did I want something? And then once denied it, it hurt me. Mm. In the other realm, if I'm angry because I've been disrespected, I'm like, all right, I acknowledge it now. Now I'm ready to talk about it because I know why it's worthy of me bringing up. So many good, so many insights. I have learned so much. When you were speaking about your ability to decipher the anger, I immediately went back to, I talk about this a lot on the show is I've only, when I grew up, we only had two reactions to things, either do you want to fight? Or there wasn't really another reaction. I say two reactions, but that's like, do you want to fight? So yeah. that anger part of what you're talking about really is embedded in a lot of people that come in contact with me because we were only taught one reaction to a lot of different scenarios. Yeah. Um, so I love that you're talking about the ability to process through that anger and see where it's coming from. That's great. Um, yeah. What tools beyond kind of sitting with yourself and processing did you have to use to get to this point? So I've always been a writer. Like I always have to process things. And so journaling has been a big way for me to write out everything that I'm thinking and then get to a point of like, ah, I'm just sad. Like, I'm just sad. <laughs> I'm just hungry. Or I'm just mad at this other person who did this thing back then when, and this person unfortunately was the target of my frustration. And that means, all right, I gotta, I gotta own up to that. Or it's writing it through and realizing, oh, I've been deeply hurt. Someone, someone hit a chord and we need to figure out how to fix it. Or I just need them to know that they can never do it again. Mm. So that's one way, but I'll also say again, going back to my them, my people, um, working it out with my community has been the best way and the most fulfilling way that I have learned to think through my boundaries and to set them. I think it's so essential to have people, right? So gaslighting was one of your terms. It is so easy, especially for people of color, queer people, people, uh, disabled people. 
to immediately be devalued on site. Mm -hmm. And so it is easy for people to assume things about you and about your value and then act accordingly. So being the fact that I'm in education and it's a predominantly white spaces, they're already coming in with assumptions about what I should and shouldn't do, how expendable I am or how you know, valuable I am. And so it'd be easy to confront you know, leaders in those spaces, people who will have power in those spaces and say like, I need to be done by 5 p.m. But then saying, but think about the children, think about the families because they are more valuable to this system than I am. Mm. But when I have my people backing me up and telling me not, it's you, Mm. you are worthy of these things and you are so valuable. And anyone who thinks less of it is the problem, not you. That gives me the courage and the fortitude to say, I'm a fight for me because they're willing to do it too. And they'll hold me even if I lose the fight, right? Like there's, there are times in which I will fight a power that is greater than me and I will not win, but I will not fall by myself. I will be held up by my people. And so coming back to them has been my absolute joy and something I can never show anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know how to be anything more than grateful to it. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That sounds like an amazing support system in place. And shout out to any of them if they're here right now. That's that's amazing support that everyone needs. Um, Because like you said, if we go into those spaces where we're going to be gaslit or dismissed immediately, we need to have people behind us saying, no, it is them. It is them. Then you can continue to set your boundaries as you see fit. I love it. I love this so much. This is the part of the show where we open it to the floor. Anybody who has any questions, um, please ask them. Use the chat if you need to. And I will kick it off by asking, have you ever crossed someone else's boundaries? And what did that look like? Ooh, have I ever crossed someone else's boundaries? That's a great question. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Um, and it was like a physical boundary. I am not a particularly, I don't touch people. That's not something I do. So honestly, COVID has been kind of amazing in that like, I could just be like, what's up? Like from afar, like don't, <laughs> don't engage with me. Um, but once I'm comfortable with someone, like I truly feel at peace with them. I want to hold their hand. I want to be next to them. And so there was this one person who uh, I was, I think I just, I touched them in a way that they did not want to be touched. And immediately I felt the vibe change. I was like, oh no, oh, oh, I messed up. I messed up. And I think my initial reaction was like, stop it. Your desire for touch is not more important than this person's boundary that they have set. So sit with that, apologize and ask them, what do they need from you thereafter? And so obviously it was awkward, right? You, it's, it's, it's always hard to be in, in that vulnerable position of, would you forgive me? Or like, how can we move forward from this? But I've done it before it's happened. And honestly, listening. And like I said, the best apology is change behavior. Mm-hmm. I do my best not to touch people in ways that they don't want to be. And so this particular person who's still in my life, I do my best not to. It's, <laughs> I just, I have to learn what I want doesn't, doesn't uh, trump what people need. 
Oh my gosh. And for any leaders of any organizations out there that may be listening to this, this is for all scenarios. If your employees are coming to you and saying, hey, this is a concern of mine, and it has been for a while, to dismiss them and to say, oh, that's cool, but I we need to make production happen. We need things to mm-hmm. get it popping. That, that leaves us employees out in the dust and we don't feel valued. We don't feel like this relationship is healthy anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Let me process that because <laughs> that's amazing advice. Does anyone have any questions? Check the chat. If not, I have tons of questions for you. <laughs> so education sounds like a really hard field to be in. Why do you continue to stay in this field? Oof. So it matters so much to me to participate in dismantling oppressive systems. And I feel education and like the medical system or healthcare in general, I think those are, they mean a lot to me because they are both systems that everyone has to go through. For some reason, we've decided everyone has to be educated. Fine, let's do that. There is so much harm being enacted in education systems against young people, against people who work in it. And I believe so fully that dismantling education as we currently understand it, I don't know if it can be reformed. I'm willing to be convinced if someone wants to have that conversation with me. But uh, dismantling it altogether is gonna be so liberating for so many people. But until that is a reality, I'm going to be there because I need to take care of the people who are being harmed by it by right now. I need to care for them. I need to advocate for them. I need them to know that even though this is happening to you, it is unjust. It is not normal. We can't accept that it's happening to you. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be there for the people who, it's, who are currently oppressed by the system, who are harmed by it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here for the kids. I'm here for the young people. And if I ever leave it, I don't know what I'll do, but I promise you it'll be because of the adults. It won't be because of the <laughs> Oh, that's amazing that they have such an advocate like you that is thinking about them continuously, even though you are, you know that you're going to be in these situations again. I mean, luckily you have healthy boundaries and values in place that keep you safe at all times, but it still gets difficult. Oh, so thank you for continuing your service in that. We do have a question. What advice do you have in general for setting boundaries or setting and standing by your own personal boundaries, especially when someone continues to ignore it professionally or personally? I think the first thing that comes to mind is like, no is a full statement. You don't need to explain yourself. So I think when people continue to dismiss and dismiss and dismiss, what they're looking for is your time, attention, and energy. Don't give it to them. So example that Katrina gave before was, right? So today I took a day off. People were still messaging me, still letting me know, hey, could you move this meeting? Do you have any knowledge about this thing? And they just kept doing it. I ignored them, but they kept doing it. And at some point I said, hey, could you check the calendar? I'm off today. I'll talk to you when I'm back. At some point they like, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I did that, what have you. But I think sometimes we're gonna have to take, take the L and people are gonna call you aggressive. They're gonna tell, tell you you're not a team player. They're gonna tell you this, that, and the third. 
But I think so long as one, you need to communicate them, right? People need to know the boundary is this. Once they know there's evidence that any, anything less than respecting that boundary you've set mm-hmm. is disrespect. Mm-hmm. At some point it's gonna, it's gonna, it's, it's harm, right? And I think there's something really important about not allowing people to take more of your time and energy when you've already told them this is the limit. Mm-hmm. That is what I'm going to give. And I will give no more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's hard. And that's why I come back to like, you need your people, you need your community, because obviously if you're in a space that is taking a lot from you all of the time, you need other people who are going to refill you. So you can have the energy to fight again, because in a lot of ways, these are boundaries, especially if you're in a toxic workplace or, you know, other types of relationships you're going to continue to be disrespected in some ways until you're able to leave or until you're able to like move them to respect you in some way, perhaps, but that's a lot of labor. And so my advice is as much as you can set your boundaries, make it clear, but with as little energy and effort as is possible. Mm -hmm. Don't keep giving people more and more of yourself. Mm, Don't keep giving people more and more of yourself, especially if it is very blatant. If you say it, if you email it, if you message them, put it in the Slack or whatever, and they've seen it and they just continue to ignore it, that's blatant disrespect. I love that. Oh, I mean, I don't love it, but I'm glad that we're putting a word to it. Um, We have another question. Working in equity and inclusion in higher ed, I've encountered so many employees that are harmful to students of color, marginalized students, and their coworkers of color and marginalized coworkers. I've had to develop boundaries around this to protect myself, mainly because I know that these folks will never be held responsible for their actions. How have you handled boundaries around this kind of thing in the work within the education system? So I recognize the one, the excellent question. In some ways, I know that I, I am very privileged to work in the education system because I'm a light-skinned person who's perceived as like a woman. And so there's a lot of spaces I get to access where that can be seen as like approachable or like non-threatening. And so I have also had to deal with people who are just they're fully unaware of the impact of their actions, their words. And I have put myself kind of on the front line in those ways to say, I'll do it. I know that you are hurting, like whether it's my students, whether it's my like coworkers, I know that you're hurting and I know that this is not okay. And I know that to ask you to do it would cause more harm than it would like improve, right? And so in a lot of ways I've, taken that on as my responsibility to say, I'm gonna, I'll talk to our boss. I won't name you, but I will say we, I will include myself as being harmed by this because seeing my students harmed, seeing my coworkers harmed is my problem. I feel it deeply and that's not okay. And so that's how I've been able to handle it. And I recognize that that's not easy for everyone. That's not everyone's um, truth. And so, if that's not the case, I guess the best thing I can also come up with is first and foremost, when I think of the students, like protect them as much as you can, right? We're in oppressive systems and they're coming at them at every which way direction. And so for myself, like I said, there are times where in education, people have told me my job is to make sure that students are studying, to make sure that they're 
doing their homework, make sure they're going to class, doing X, Y, and Z. But when I have a student come to my desk and they're crying, they're crying because they failed a class and now they have to go home and tell their mom that they're gonna get kicked out of a program. I could care less about what the protocol or what my job description says. In that moment, I will hold you. Cry, let's go for a walk, let's do what we can. And I'll, and I'll take that. And if someone has ever tells me otherwise, oh, you can't give them time for that or like send them somewhere else, send them somewhere else to be dealt with. I won't, I won't do that. But again, I recognize that I sit in a you know, seat of privilege where I can fight back to some extent. There's some level of resistance I'm allowed to give and that's not seen as threatening. Um, that's the best way I can think of answering that question. So very hard to do. And I think one of the first things I learned about on in this space is that you cannot change the system by being a part of it. That resistance that you talked about has to be done somewhere. And it's amazing that people have you to do that. Um, but we also have to be those frontline workers for ourselves. It is freaking hard. And I know, I know that it's hard for a lot of people, specifically people um, who look like me or are darker than me and are black and are male um, mm -hmm. appearing. It's just, it's a lot of work to do. And you talked about that emotional labor, but it does have to be done. And at some point, if your boundaries are consistently crossed, um, no matter what you look like, you will have to leave that unhealthy relationship. Absolutely. That may remind me what I would only add to that question is when working in education, right? Tell them, tell the students, tell the coworkers, those things are not okay. Mm. I have found that like, maybe I can't, exactly as you said, I can't change the entire system. I'm incapable of doing that. But the best I can do is resist. And one thing I can do to, you know, push my resistance forward is with the truth. Mm -hmm. And I can tell my students what you're experiencing, what this person told you to do is not okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I can fix it. Here's the things I might be able to do. And I'm not sure I can fix it. That's just how this is right now. But I want you to know it's not okay so that they could never be dismissed or gaslit. Give mm -hmm. them the tools to know that they have been mistreated and that's not okay. And anytime they need that space of validation, do that, like offer that to help to them as much as you can. That is, that is an amazing point because a lot of us are in these predominantly white spaces and we feel crazy. We're like, okay, did, is that right? Or am I right? Which one yeah. is it? So to have that support and that validation from anybody in the room is amazing to have. And it helps you in your journey of setting more boundaries in that space. So that's amazing. Um, do you have any tips for people who are looking to move into education and maybe be in these spaces that we've described today? Do you have any tips for them if they're deciding to become an educator? Man, I don't know if I have tips. It's just education is a, is a tricky place. People come into it for a lot of different reasons. And I think sometimes there's a thorough misunderstanding of what you can do, the capacity in which you can like support students if that's what you're there for, or families, right? But just don't don't come here if you're trying to save somebody. Like just don't. We don't need that. Keep that to yourself. Go save money. Don't save kids. Like don't don't come here for that. Um, I just I find a lot of people come in hoping to again boost their ego or just 
find it. They want people to make them feel good, to say like, oh man, you saved me in some way or you helped me in some way. If anyone has ever worked with teenagers, college students, even younger kids, they will tell you to fuck off before they tell you that they love you. <laughs> and that's just how it goes because they're dealing with so much in their life and honestly, it's more likely that you are an obstacle to them than you are a support system. But if you are ever a support system to them, students will be so blunt and let you know, like, I come to you first because mm. you hold me when I need it. And so my thing is, if you're coming in here looking for gratitude, looking for love, looking for like your personal cheerleading squad, just to, you know, pump you up and let you know that you're the best, don't come here. Don't do that right? Burnout is everywhere, but in edu education, is it's not any different. It, it hurts to be part of the system. But you stay here because, because of the kids. <laughs> like, you stay here for them. You stay here for the possibility of change. Um, and that's a lot of work, right? The lot of work that I do comes through resistance. I have to resist a lot of things, but stay employed at the same time. And that's in and of itself uh, uh, a hard thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to come into the education system and you're determined to be part of this change, to be part of the resistance, mm -hmm. you're going to get tired. But you stay here. Mm -hmm. You keep going. And it's not because you're going to make anything better. Most like more than anything, you're in here doing your best trying to not make it worse. Mm. Um, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's just, I think, misconceptions about what participating in education is like. And unless you thoroughly understand how oppressive and harmful and violent the education system is, I don't think you're ready. Um, I love that you mentioned how tiring it is. So for anybody out there thinking, okay, I could probably do this. I hope that they heard that and they're like, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm standing on if I'm going to be able to be tired and set these boundaries on a value level every single day in the mm -hmm. education system. So that's great that you touched on that. Thank you so much for all of the information and the experiences you have shared today. Do you have any last minute golden nuggets for the audience today? Golden nuggets. Um, nah, find your people and push forth, man. Like I promise you, you can do this alone. It's so much better doing it with people who love you and who you love back. Um, that's what's kept me strong and allowed me to stay in a place of both, like I mentioned, anger and gratitude. And you can hold both of those at the same time. You can be mad that the world is the way that it is and grateful that you can keep making it to each and every day because in the midst of a lot of hurt, a lot of harm, heavy things that we have to carry, you are loved and somebody loves you back. Oh, no. Okay, that is a really great note to end on. I thank you so much for your time today. Once again, this was absolutely not. And I'm your host, Katrina Stroll. My special guest today was Gabby Espana. Please reach out to them for anything, not anything, but um, regarding <laughs> education, injustice, and the educational system. And if you want to chat about setting personal boundaries at work, their information will be in the show notes when this episode is published, as well as the information for our sponsors. And if you're looking to become a sponsor, please reach out. And thank, 
just thank you everyone for continuing to support this space and coming here today. I know y'all didn't come for me, but thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much for being here and we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you.